The following podcast is presented by Ensign Services, Inc., a company engaged in the business of providing contracted for administrative and back office type support services to post-acute healthcare clients. Ensign Services provides accounting, human resources, compliance, legal, risk management, information technology, training, construction support, and other such miscellaneous services to its clients. These contracted for services are available to be utilized at the sole discretion of its clients. References within the podcast to the company and its activities, as well as the use of the terms we, us, its, our, and similar terms used during the discussion are not meant to imply that Ensign Services, Inc. or the Ensign Group, Inc. has any direct operational control, supervision, or direction of the independently operated post-acute healthcare entities. Okay, we are here with our next Ensign Services podcast. I'm really excited to be talking to you guys again today. Um, What I wanted to focus on today is we're going to be talking about this term we hear a lot, the first 100 days. Uh, It it almost sounds ominous, the first 100 days, you know, dun, dun, dun. But, But it's true how crucial those first 100 days are. You know, the old adage is you never get a second chance to make a first impression. Um, And that really comes into play here. This is a crucial opportunity that we have, uh, that you have when when you take over an operation where you get a chance to develop that belief and that trust in your team where the wrong people will say... Uh, well, this isn't for me, and they they sort of get off the bus, and the right people say, okay, I believe in this leader, and and, and in fact, I, I want to go on the bus, and I want to bring my friends. Uh, things are going to be different now, and, and uh, I think when we delay these things, it becomes so much harder if, if we don't really attack these first 100 days. So in this podcast, I, I want to talk about the first 100 days, but particularly from the perspective of, of a proven director of nursing in our affiliation. Uh, but, but obviously a lot of the principles are gonna apply to all of leadership. So I'm here with the extremely handsome Tony Sandoval. And it's okay that it's, it's audio, Tony, so uh, nobody sees it on video. They're, uh, they don't need proof on that. He's our DON at Camelback uh, with Bandera. He's recently completed a very successful transition to his leadership, and and so we wanted to talk to him about some of the principles that that he's applied. So, Tony, let's start by talking just a little bit about the history of Camelback, if we can. Great. Thank you for having me, Clay. I started with Bandera on March 5th, 2018, in the DIT program. And I'll be honest with you. So so as a director of nurses in training. That is correct. As a director of nurse training program. And I honestly, I, I can't put a price tag on the value I got there in those first six months training. Just the the seven state surveys alone were worth the price of admission. (laughs) Sounds fun. Yeah, so on October of last year, the 22nd, I was given an amazing opportunity uh, to be the DON at Camelback. And the reality is at that time, Camelback was not in a very good place. Um, It had just dropped to a one-star facility. We had registry in the building and the financials were stale. And the building was coming off three consecutive failed slash not so good surveys. Hmm. So if you if you fast forward to today, almost nine months later, um, through the work of of many people in the building, we just celebrated our best survey in in the 19 year history. That's awesome. Of, of the building, we had our highest CCA score in, in five years, and the building is financially healthy. That's awesome. That's awesome. But but you know, I think a lot. Of people in this affiliation, they they 
They come into operations like this, and it seems extremely daunting. They, they, they see a building, and, and by the way, with the building comes all of that building's excuses. We've heard them. The building is too small. The building is too old. Uh, the culture is too corrupted. It's just in a bad area. And, and my favorite that I honestly have heard several times and, and in buildings that I've operated in, it's not your fault. The building is just cursed. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know which of those you heard, but I... I uh, Sometimes we just feel like, okay, so what do I do? Uh, and and you just feel like you need to spring into action, start kicking butt and taking names. How, how did you, how did you as a leader start to affect this great turnaround? Well, this might surprise you, but I decided that in the first few weeks I was really going to do very little to nothing. Now, all right, let's cut this podcast off here because uh, I'm just kidding. Don't actually cut it off. I just don't want a bunch of DONs to say I'm not going to do anything. What do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean by doing nothing? Well, I, I say that, but that's not really accurate. What I was doing, um, although maybe many people in my building didn't realize it, uh-huh. what I was doing a lot of extreme listening and observing. What, what do you mean by extreme listening and observing? Why extreme? Well, extreme because I wanted to have a minimal effect on how the building was truly operating. I, I, I wanted to have no effect on the normal day-to-day uh, operations that was going on in the building so I can truly get a sense of, of where our weaknesses and our strengths were. See, I, I would almost think the opposite, that you come in and you say, there's obviously things that I need to change, and you're sitting here saying... Uh, I, I I didn't want to go in and change a bunch of things at first, and that's interesting. But as I think about it, and I, I think I've used this example before. I can't remember if I've used it in a podcast, but it, it's it is our knee jerk reaction to start fixing things, things that seem broken, applying our solutions. But but it's sort of the therapist example, right? When a therapist sits down with somebody, they don't just start prescribing solutions. They listen to the person. They say, you know, tell me about your mother or whatever they ask uh, and, and, and start having those conversations. There's a, there's a great video that I've used in, in a lot of my earlier trainings of a, of a therapist that, that uh, says he'll only take five minutes and, and, and all the problems will be solved in five minutes because, you know, he listens to the problem and then he just says, okay, are you ready? I'm going to solve it. And he says, stop it. <laughs> just stop it. And, th- and that's his solution. It's funny to watch, but it's it's really true. We come in and we just say, stop doing these bad things, start doing these good things. So after your uh, you know, extreme listening and observation, what is it that you did discover? Well, as you can imagine, um, after a couple weeks, it was clear that Camelback had roughly 42 million things that needed to be fixed. That right there, that was the hard part, realizing everything that needed to be done. It seemed, you know, super overwhelming. I I felt like maybe my life was going to be over. What did I get myself into, you know? Um, But then I just asked myself, you know, the the, the old question, how do you eat an entire elephant? And the answer is one bite at a time. So so you're not speaking from experience there. That's that's just an analogy, right? As far as eating an elephant? (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So as I've heard you talk about... You know, the best leaders are really good at focusing on less and then obsessing. Yeah, I love that principle. Absolutely. I couldn't obsess on the 42 million things or or that would just kill me. I, I really had to find those really, really big things, what, what I call, you know, my rocks. I had to figure out what they were and then focus and be relentless on those things. So I had to ask myself, you know, what are the fundamentals that I really cannot afford to fail on? 
what are the essentials? I needed to identify like what were the major holes causing the boat to take on water, if you will, and then obsess on those things. And that's hard because I think sometimes when we go down those lists, we say, but that's important too, and that's important too, and that's important too, and, and we find ourselves overwhelmed again. So, so you have me curious, what things did you come up with as being the most important things for you to focus on? Well, at that time, I decided to focus on two C's, okay. culture and clinical. Okay. Now, I want to call you out on that a little bit because those two C's are very big C's. Uh, it, it, if th- those, are, those could include those 42 million things that you need to fix. So you need to help me narrow that down. Culture is a very uh, all-encompassing word. So, so what do you mean by that? All right, true. That, that, that's fair enough, Clay. Uh, let me start with culture. I'm a big fan of uh, Lencioni's Dysfunctions of a Team. Uh, if you haven't read that book, I, I really recommend. And also, there's a great podcast here on it. That's a really great summary. But basically, we needed to fix employee morale and get everybody working as a team. We needed to get Camelback excited about coming to work every day. Yeah, and you and did you read that book as a team and and review it, or what did you? Was it just you reading it and, and applying the principles? Or? I, I had read the book on my own. Um, uh-huh. An administrator from a from a previous job who gave me the book, and uh-huh. it was. Uh, it's really big, and it's and, and it's and it's really been a big part of my strategy. You know, uh, coming into a building and, and really applying the principles uh, of getting everyone uh, to, to work together. It, it's an amazing read. Yeah, I do recommend it too. And 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 just you know, for reference to the listener, it's it's all about kind of creating trust as teams, uh, enough trust to have healthy conflict one among one another so that we become more committed to our tasks, we hold each other accountable more, and we become a lot more attentive to, to our results. And um, so I, I want to talk about how you change the employee morale. And this is why I ask before you talk about it. I, I'm, I'm a big proponent of fun in buildings. I think people know that. I, I, you know, we implemented a fun theory contest, and I, I think when you have fun in buildings and when employees have fun showing up, uh, it's great and there's great value to it. But sometimes I think that we think that just making our buildings more fun changes morale and makes everything better. But but part of culture and employee morale comes from putting on pressure and peer accountability and and pushing people to do hard things, kind of much, much like a, I use this example a lot, much like a personal trainer. You could be fun and nice as a personal trainer, but not a very good personal trainer. The great personal trainers might be fun and nice, but they push you and they get more out of you than others are able to. So if you can, walk me through how you change the culture and morale in your building without just making it, you know, you're a fun guy, without just making it more fun. Right, right. So there were a couple things that I would say that that, that really highlight this. And some specific examples is, number one, in the first two weeks, I made it a personal goal of mine. Um, I wanted to meet all 104 employees at Camelback, morning, noon, and night shift. Hmm. So I would come in early, stay late to let them know that not only who I was, but to let them know that I was here and I, I wanted to, to help them achieve the results that seems were all like working Seems like you wouldn't towards. have time for that. With all the things you have to do as a DON, it seems like that would... You just wouldn't have time to meet all 104. We, we we as leaders feel like there's so many things that we have to do, and we think it'd be so great to connect with all of these people. But how did how do you find time as a director of nurses to meet with 104 of your employees? 
And, and that's a great point, Clay. You know, it, at first it would seem that that's just way too big of a task and, and, and there is not enough time for that. But to be honest with you, as I, as I reflect, I honestly thought there, there, there's really, there's really no reason why I, I can't do that. And I, it, it's important and I have to make the time because this is a priority. Yeah. I mean, I talked to Chase Gunderson a lot, uh, and and he he sometimes feels like that is the most important thing that he does is just these quick connects with all of his people and and how valuable that's been to his operation. Anyway, I didn't mean to cut you off. So keep keep talking to me about this with with the culture. Okay, so another thing we did is there was really kind of um, kind of an us versus them kind of attitude amongst some of, some of the clinical team. And what I what I mean by that is uh, one some of the feedback I got initially was there was really um, limited availability to to certain supplies that CNAs and nurses need to do their job. Yeah. Um, so what I did initially was in the middle of our building, I, I, I unlocked our central supply room and allowed them access to the supplies they needed, whether I was there or not. Now, what that did was, um, it was amazing because immediately the, the, the feedback was, you know, this was the first time that uh, management had come in and, and trusted them to do their job and allow them access to their equipment without wasn't, having a ration. Wasn't that scary for you? I mean, it seems like, I mean... We'd always talk about discipline and systems and, and order and things like that. It seems like opening up central supply could be a very dangerous thing to do. What what what? Led Absolutely, to that it, it, it definitely it definitely was scary. But go, going back to going back to our core values of, of intelligent risk, that that trust mm-hmm. really needed to be established early with, mm-hmm. with the team. And like I said, the gains I got from that and, and, and the building and everybody, um, it, it was well worth it for sure. So that's why you're ta- that's interesting. That's why you're talking about this on the cultural piece, not the clinical piece, because culturally your employees felt elevated and they felt trusted and empowered to solve problems. Absolutely, on their own. Oh, I like absolutely. That. Okay. And, okay. and one other thing is uh, myself and my partner Ted. Um, he's done an amazing job of really prioritizing our all staff meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, before they were just a small mandatory meeting, people had to go. Yeah. And, and now to use your words, it, it's really more fun and educational. Back to our core values um, with passion for learning, we really do have a passion for teaching mm-hmm. at, at Camelback. Good. And now our all staff meetings are, are much more, not only, not, not only, um, education seminars, if you will, but they're fun. We often start with a game show. Yeah. We'll, we'll do a Caplico, um, who wants to be a millionaire, <laughs> stuff like that. And, and we really get people engaged. And we, we've seen our attendance from people that are not on the clock really skyrocket yeah. as these all staff meetings are, are much more fun, much more informative. And like I said, just, just overall boost the morale. It's really been amazing to see. Again, I'm a big proponent of fun and, and getting people to connect with one another and that's neat. Okay, so so let's jump to the other one because the other C that you said is also a huge word. The the clinical, right? That the two C's, cultural and clinical. It's sort of what we do. I mean, I almost feel like you're saying, uh, you know, if I ask the question, how are we going to be a better basketball team? You, you're saying by playing basketball better. So so what do you mean by focusing on the clinical? Were there were there certain aspects of the clinical that you that you focused on more? Right. Right. So. As I evaluated, you know, our clinical systems, um, one of the things that I noticed, and look, we're all we're, we're all here for the same basic purpose. You know, we our our goal as an organization is we we want to dignify long term care in the eyes of the world. Yeah. So it all goes back to our patients, and if we can't 
properly medicate our patients and, and carry out the orders of the doctors, we're not going to be successful in that endeavor. So what I identified was we were having a big problem with our pharmacy in terms of getting medication delivered to our facility. Mm -hmm. So that became my obsession. You know, what is the problem? This is preventing us from providing the best possible care we can. And after, after doing some research, we found that our fax machine that, that we're sending our orders to had the wrong pharmacy phone number programmed into it. So when we were sending <laughs> so our- So a simple mistake. It was a simple mistake. <laughs> it was, was a simple mistake that was causing a lot of problems. So instead of sending our medications to our local pharmacy in Phoenix, they were going to Omaha, Nebraska, which was causing a huge <laughs> delay. Bad. That's yeah, bad. that's okay. that's not very okay. good. Right. That's not very good. So that that was causing a huge delay. Once we corrected that, the medication started coming in timely, and we were able to provide much better service and, and way better care to our patients. So there's probably a lot of really simple changes out there that we don't realize that are maybe causing headaches in our clinical operations that just by focusing on it, you realized, well, here's an easy switch to flip. Absolutely. And and okay. at the time, like I said, when I was coming in, we really needed a win clinically. You know, the building was, was in a bad place. So yeah. back to the focus point, uh, our CCA was coming up. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I became obsessed with. And it's funny, I actually got a, a nickname from, from some of the members of the team. Uh, for that short period of time, I was known as CCA Tony. Because I would, you know, remove myself from the floor and really focus on that. And like I said, almost to the point of obsession. That's just the nicknames you knew about. Those are, yes, yeah, correct. Just the ones I knew about. <laughs> yeah, so I, I mean, I love that. And it, it seems like as a leader, when, when they know, when your people know you're obsessed about something, they get on board. They will do the things that they feel are important to you. Okay, so... I am a big fan, like you've talked about, about focusing on less and then obsessing. I'm assuming that you're not saying, so everybody needs to focus and obsess over the CCA or needs to focus and obsess on pharmacy. You're saying they need to figure out what to focus on and obsess over, right? Absolutely. And, and that's really the, the, the glory and, and the benefit of the DIT program, which I was so fortunate to be a part of. Um, in that six months, I really got a chance to, to go around all of Bandera and, and, and really observe and, and look at what was making those buildings so successful. What were some of the things they were focusing on? A, a couple of really great examples. If you walk into Horizon and, and take a look at how they do their clinical systems, they are absolutely meticulous. They have a daily, weekly, monthly schedule that you can, for lack of a better term, you can set your watch to it. It is so exact, and that is their focus, and they have amazing results become of it. I want to say they're a flag-flying facility almost three out of the last four years, something like that. I don't have the stats, yeah. but they are amazing. So that's just you know one of the things they focus on. At North Mountain, their new hire orientation process is absolutely amazing. It is eight hours of, of intense information, instruction, and they feel it's the core of what makes them great is their people. Yeah. So they focus on that orientation process. They want to get it right the first time. Customer service. 
you walk into Bella Vida, I understand it wasn't always the gym it is now, yeah. but you walk into Bella Vida, you're greeted with smiles and you can't get 15 feet down the hallway without <laughs> three people asking you if you need something. So every building is going to have their own areas to focus on, yeah, like but that. that that focusing and obsessing on what's going to make your individual facility better is amazing. And like I said, I can't say enough about the partners in Bandera that, that, that have given me the education to get where I am. That's awesome. I, I and, and so as a leader, really, your big thing is figuring out what should I be obsessed about? What What is it that I'm going to focus on? And I, I love, I, I really, uh, I, I, I need to put that principle into practice more, but figuring out what are my obsessions? Because sometimes as leaders, we just think the answer is, well, focus on less so that we're not so overwhelmed. Focusing on less is just being a little bit lazier. But focusing on less and then obsessing is really, I think, what what makes us great. I'm assuming it still wasn't easy that it took a lot of grit, patience uh, in, in everything that you were trying to accomplish. Absolutely. Okay. So what? Yeah. What we did is we, we created a, a culture of debate on our team. You know, it was okay to argue, and, and everybody knew it more than okay. It was expected, and this is not something that's. Uh, you, unique to Camelback, it, it's something that was lacking there because it is a uh, part of the culture in most of our Bandera buildings. I can't tell you how many times the stand-up meetings end in tears, and it, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't come from a place of malice. It, right. it comes from a place of love and and really ownership. We're not encouraging people to make each other cry, right? Absolutely. No, okay. and, and what I found in our in our, in our sister facilities is. You know, the level of ownership where people are, are willing to have those tough conversations and really, you know, everyone's working towards the same goal. At Camelback, you know, we, we have a saying now that, you know, that there are no there are no problems in a particular department. They're, they're Camelback's problems. Yeah. So as those principles started, you know, to take root in our facility, we really started to see the flywheel turn. And, and, and it was uh, it was amazing to see. So. With that, with customer service being a, being a focal point, you know, it's it's really good and, and it's amazing to see what can happen, you know, when you put your mind to something and when you really start to focus on something, our, our yeah. employees have been bought in and it doesn't matter what it is, you know, if it's if it's your CCA survey results, star rating, the flag, uh, when we became obsessed with, with getting better and turning the flywheel, it, it started to happen for us. Yeah, I like that. I... I I can imagine. Look, uh, Tony, I've never been a DON. Uh, I imagine as a DON coming in that, that you become really anxious by nature to just go in and solve all the problems of a facility. And, and those problems can be overwhelming. In fact, you might be able to keep that up for a time, but eventually you wouldn't be able to maintain it because you just wouldn't have any quality of life. And to build something lasting, you really need to be able to focus on less and then obsess over those things. Pick the things that matter most and obsessively pursue them. Find people on your teams that will help handle the other things. It's not like those things aren't important. You just need to decide what your focus is going to be and then convince everyone that things are going to change. Uh, if 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 they become sold on that and that they're gonna things are gonna get better, the right people want to be on a winning team, and they'll stay and they'll get their friends to come and and really, if we're gonna turn things around, we've got to be stronger leaders in this in this respect. Tony, thanks for sharing your experiences here. The the DONs that are a part of this affiliation. I know they give their lives to this job, uh, but it doesn't mean they should have to give up having a life. I love the ideas you've shared, and 
hopefully it'll help several of them out there in the midst of their own uh, turnaround operations. Thanks, Tony. Thanks for having me, Clay.